Okay, most of you already know our brother, Brother Jay Rohr, comes to us from the Harrisonburg area. And uh, I think there's a little extra smile on his face this evening. I believe his wife showed up today. So anyway, Lord bless you in that. And uh, bless you as you share tonight. She was here and she already left. <laughs> um, I guess she'll be going home and tomorrow she has some time to spend with her mother and then all night tomorrow night into Friday morning and then she'll come back Friday. So I'm looking forward to, to getting her back. Today is Valentine's Day and we think of love on Valentine's Day. How do we understand really what love is? We need to go back to the source. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's my desire that once again tonight that we lift up Jesus. He's the source of love. And His Father, the Father, is the source of love. For God so loved the world, not so much the geography, but the lost inhabitants in the world. For God so loved the world, the lost inhabitants that He gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Brothers and sisters, I firmly believe that as we catch a glimpse and understand in a deeper way the tremendous love of the Father, the Son, the surrender of the Son, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, then we can understand what love is. We must establish that love on a, on a vertical level a vertical plane, and then on a horizontal level, we'll understand love in a better way. Okay, I'd like to, if we would, to turn to our, our verses this evening that, that we're learning together. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Let's stand and say those verses together. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. I said earlier, what is God's desire for you in this life? I firmly believe He desires that you and I are changed into the image of the Son. <clears throat> For an introductory passage this evening, I would invite you to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verses... 11 and 12. The Bible reads this way, And it came to pass, as he, as Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. Lepers. What's the condition of these men? Obviously, you know that leprosy is a dreadful disease. It's very contagious, often incurable. And the people that got leprosy, what were they to do? The Old Testament law tells us, Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, tells us what they were supposed to do. And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent and his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry, Unclean! Unclean! All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled, for he is unclean. He shall dwell alone. Without the camp or outside the camp shall his habitation be. These men who were lepers, they were banished outside the Jewish community. It affected every aspect of their life, physically, they were separated from the security of their homes, 
the security of their families. They were banished outside the city. Economically, there were no employment opportunities, no way to support themselves. Socially, when they were approached by others, don't get too close, unclean, unclean. They were treated as, as outcasts, like the scum of the earth. And spiritually, these men were not allowed anywhere near, I guess it could be ladies if they had it, they were not allowed anywhere near the temple because they would defile the other worshipers. The only support group that these people had were those just like themselves. They had a sentence of death hanging over their heads. What a miserable bunch of comforters. But then came Jesus. I need to get back to Luke. Luke 17. Let's continue our story. Just think about the awful condition that these people were facing. But let's look the continue. Luke chapter 17 verses 13 to 18. I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 16. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet and gave thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not let, found they are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. Just remember, these men were still lepers even after Jesus came. But it was only after a cry for mercy and an act of faith that these men were healed. Just imagine the tremendous change in these men. What a hope! What a future for them! But you know what? There was only one that returned and gave thanks to the great physician for the miracle that they received. And I'm asking, have we returned? As you think of the scourge of sin, is not your life even worse than the, the men who were facing leprosy? Have you and I, have we returned back in thanks and gave thanks for the miracle that we have received? This evening, I've told you already that we'd like to take a trip to Golgotha. And we want to take a close look this evening at the three crosses. We want to take a close look at the three men dying on those three crosses. The cross in the middle is the one man dying for sin. The cross on the left and the one man dying in sin. And the cross on the right and the one man dying to sin. And I submit to you, brothers and sisters, that all of mankind, past, present, and future, will find that he identifies with either of the two men dying on the outside crosses. Either we are dying in sin or we're dying to sin. Which is it? How is it with you tonight? The title of the message this evening is Three men dying. I invite you to Luke chapter 23, verses 32 and 33. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 and 33. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to that place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and one on the left. So we have the one man in the middle dying for sin, one dying in to sin, one dying in sin. So we have the picture here of the three men dying. Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. 
We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who all has sinned? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Mankind in his own effort can never bring about reconciliation between his own sin nature and Almighty God. Who was the prophecy of the Messiah spoken to first? Anybody want to, want to share what you think? As you think of Genesis 3, 15, who was the prophecy of the Messiah spoken to? I think we'll find that the prophecy was... Let me, let me get Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The prophecy was spoken to Satan. And the Lord God said unto the serpent... Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So the prophecy was first spoken to Satan uh, about the coming Redeemer. And when did the great plan of salvation take place? Was it just, plan, just prior to the need? Or was it much longer than that? We looked at a verse, I think it was last evening. I'd like to look at another verse from 1 Peter 1, 18 to 20. How long before was this prophecy or the great plan of salvation spoken? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. I marvel at the sovereignty and the omniscience of God and how he knew long before, even before the creation, that we were in need of a Savior and Jesus committed to come even before the creation. Isn't that wonderful? I hope that blesses your heart. I cannot fathom the love, the sovereignty, the omniscience of our God, but I accept it by faith because of what we read here. I'd like us to briefly consider Jesus, the one in the middle cross dying for sin, to think about what were some of the things that he suffered for you and for me? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. What did Jesus suffer for you? What did he suffer for me? Matthew 26, verse 49. Jesus suffered, number one, he suffered a kiss of betrayal. And forthwith, he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master! And kissed him. Can you imagine a really, really close friend coming in like, like Judas did and betraying Jesus with a kiss? Secondly, Jesus experienced abandonment from all the disciples. Look at verse 56, 55 and 56. In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out? as against a thief with swords and staves, for to take me, I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you laid no hand on me. But all this was done, that the, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Jesus, in his great hour of need, the disciples abandoned him and left. When you and I go through a trial, it's nice to have somebody that is going through that struggle with us. But Jesus' friends, close friends, abandoned him. Number three, false witness. Verse 60. But found none, yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses. Jesus also experienced vile treatment. Verse 67. We'll move through these fairly quickly. But let's not forget what Jesus suffered for you and me. Verse 67, Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms 
of their hands. Fifthly, Jesus experienced Peter's denial. Verse 73. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art also one of them, for thy speech bewrayeth or betrayeth thee. Then began Peter to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. Also, in chapter 27, verse 26, Jesus was scourged. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. We can read over that quickly, but I don't think we recognize how awful a scourging is. We may get into that a little bit later. Jesus was also, he suffered humiliation. Chapter 27, verse 28. Then they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had planted planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And if I can interject something here, a brief story. Sally and I, when we were privileged four years ago to go to Israel... Uh, we went down into the Antonia's Fortress, and down in there is kind of a cave-like area where they thought maybe Jesus was scourged. Also, there was a, a table, not quite as tall as this one, maybe not quite as long, but there was a rock table, and it's thought that the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, played a game on that rock face there called the Game of the Kings. And they would roll these dice. They weren't dice, but they were bones from a a goat or something. But they would roll these dice, and it would depend on how they would land. And then they would pick, they would choose a man in the prison to be a king for a day. And then after that day, they they would crucify him. And I don't know if that's true, but it seems like it probably was that these soldiers would play this game. And you read in here, They stripped him, put on a scarlet robe. They planted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they mocked him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, making fun and ridiculing, mocking him. Maybe because they had played this game of the kings. uh, And then when the day was over, then he was crucified. I just threw that in. That won't cost you anything extra. Jesus also experienced thirst, verse 48. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. And then ultimately, Jesus experienced death. Verse 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Isaiah 53 from the NIV says this, His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. Some time ago, I found a book um, titled The Case for Easter written by Lee Strobel. And he did some interviewing some doctors to try to better understand really what Jesus experienced in a medical explanation, what he experienced. And... I'd like to share a little bit from that, from that book. In the garden, when Jesus was sweating the drops of blood, what happens is that severe anxiety causes the release, release of chemicals that break down the capillaries in the sweat glands. As a result, there's a small amount of bleeding in those glands, and the sweat comes out tinged with blood. What this did was set up the skin to be extremely fragile so that when Jesus was flogged by the Roman soldier the next day, his skin would be very, very sensitive. What was a flogging like? The Roman floggings were known to be terribly brutal. The soldier would use a whip of braided leather thongs with metal balls woven into them. When the whip would strike the flesh, These balls would cause deep bruises or contusions which would break open with further blows. 
And the whip had pieces of sharp bone as well, which would cut the flesh severely. And I just might interject here, brothers and sisters, I'm not here to dramatize the death and suffering of our Lord. But I think sometimes we read in the Bible and we find, yeah, Jesus died for me. That's, that's nice. Oh, yeah? What did Jesus suffer for you and me because he loved us? The back would be so shredded that part of the spine was sometime exposed to the deep, deep cuts. The whipping would have gone all the way from the shoulders down to the back of the legs. It was terrible. The, suf- the sufferer's veins were laid bare, and the very muscles and sinews of the victim were often open to exposure. As the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. Many people would die from this kind of beating even before they could be crucified. Because of the effects of the beating, there was no question that Jesus was already in serious to critical condition before the nails were driven into his hands and feet. The results of the flogging, what what were the results? A scourging equals blood loss. And medically, the word, it's hypovolemic shock. Hypo means low. Vol refers to volume. And emic means blood. So hypovolemic shock means that the person is suffering the effect of losing a large amount of blood. This does four things. First, the heart races to try to pump blood that isn't there. Second, the blood pressure drops, causing fainting or collapse. Third, the kidneys stop producing urine to maintain what volume is left. And fourth, the person becomes very thirsty as the body craves liquids, I'm sorry, craves fluids to replace the lost blood volume. The Roman spikes were five to seven inches long and tapered to a sharp point. It's important to understand that the nail would go through the place where the median nerve runs. Do you know the kind of pain you feel when you bang your elbow or hit your funny bone? Well, picture taking a pair of pliers and squeezing and crushing that nerve. The nerves in the feet would have also been crushed in the same way as those in the hand. So what did Jesus, he experienced a horrible flogging we can hardly recognize. And what else? He experienced the spikes, the nails being driven into his hands and his feet. We're talking about love for you and me. Jesus knew the will of his Father. He said, I'm willing to go. I know it's going to cost my life. But I love. For God so loved the world. He loved the lost inhabitants and the Lord Jesus did too. And he was committed to come for your salvation and for mine. I hope our hearts well up in love and appreciation for our loving Lord. Simple breathing. The reason is that the stresses of the muscle and the diaphragm put the chest into the inhaled position. Basically, in order to exhale, the individual must push up on his feet so the tension on the muscles would be eased for a moment. In doing so, the nail would tear through the foot, eventually locking up against the tarsal bones. After managing to exhale, the person would then be able to relax down and take another breath in. 
Again, he'd have to push himself up to exhale, scraping his bloodied back against the coarse wood of the cross. This would go on and on until complete exhaustion would take over and the person wouldn't be able to push up and breathe anymore. I don't want to be confrontational here this evening, but I do have a point to make, and if you disagree with me, that's okay. Sometimes we hear songs that I think diminish the power, diminish the true meaning. And let me explain. One of the songs that we sing sometimes or hear sung, the cross in the middle should have been mine. That's a good song, but I think it's poor theology. The cross in the middle should not have been mine. Another song that we hear, Jesus signed my part and this I surely know, took my place on Calvary. Jesus was not my substitute. He did not take my place on Calvary. Let me explain. Did Jesus die for me? Absolutely. And I thank Him for it. But let me say, if I would have died on a cross, it would have done nothing for you. Jesus was the only one that could go to that cross. And let's not diminish. And I don't mean to be, to be too, too hard on those who wrote those songs, but I, I guess I feel like the theology on some of those songs is poor. Now, if you want to take me to task after the service, you can. I just want to say Jesus was the only one that could go. He was, he was the only one that was sinless. My blood would have done nothing for you or anybody else, but Jesus can, His blood can cleanse every one of us and the whole world can give us salvation. His blood is effective. Mine isn't. Let's praise Him. He was the only one that could go to that cross and let's not forget it. We must separate one cross in the middle. Jesus did not take our place on Calvary. Jesus, the sinless sacrifice, He satisfied the requirements of the Father to redeem sinful mankind. And I say praise His holy name. Now this evening we have a special group here that's going to come and sing a song for us. Just suppose God searched through heaven. And uh, let's listen to them. Would you all come and sing that song for us, please? Just suppose God searched through heaven and could not find one willing to be the supreme sacrifice that was needed that would provide eternal life for you. Then forever 
so glad he was willing to drink his bitter cup. Although he prayed, Father, let it pass from me. Oh, I'm so glad he didn't call heaven's angels. From my hands pull the nails that torment me. Thank you all. A job well done. I like to think about Jesus. I like to think about before there was sin, there was provision, a capital P. Before the sin, before the creation, there was provision in Jesus Christ, capital P. Praise God for that provision for you and for me. May your heart well up in love tonight for that great salvation, the submission of our Lord Jesus, wanting to bring salvation to you and me. I, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. <clears throat> okay, we've looked at the one man in the middle dying for sin. I'd like to consider one man dying in sin. There were many people on the day of the crucifixion that ridiculed Jesus, including both of the thieves. Let's look at Matthew 27, 38 to 44. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him and with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Notice the next verse, the thieves, plural also which were crucified with him cast the same into his teeth. Both, both of them cast that into his teeth. And we'll pick up the other man here just a little bit later. But you know, um, the one man was dying in sin. What about the rich young ruler? Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 22 like to think of some other people that were dying in sin. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 22. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep, thy, keep the commandments. And he said unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth, what lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, 
for he had great possessions. Jesus touched the core issue in this young man's life. And before we go any further, Jesus has that ability. The Holy Spirit has that ability here tonight. I don't know what you may be facing, what you may be struggling with, but Jesus is able, whether I say it or not, He can touch a core issue in your life, in your heart. And I don't have to say a thing. Praise God, He can do that. But this young man, he had a choice to make. In essence, it's either my money or my God. And this rich young ruler, he went away sorrowful. One young man dying in sin. And I believe that man is still paying the price of that decision. Do you think he's glad that he didn't accept Christ? And that money that he had, what good did it do him? He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions, and I believe he's paying yet today. I'd like to share an experience that happened to me about 23 or 4 years ago. We were on, several of us was on, were on the streets of Philadelphia doing some street evangelism work. And I was on this street, and there was a woman coming down the street, approximately 22 years old. She was a black lady, and I'm not prejudiced. She was a black lady. She had on a pair of jeans and a yellow T-shirt, if I remember. And she was pushing a little girl in a stroller. This little girl probably was about 18 months old. And I said to her something like this, Ma'am, would you care for a gospel tract about God's love for man? She responded, I don't believe in God. I said, you don't? That's too bad. She countered, I believe in Satan. I said, I do too. I agreed with her. And she continued, I'm not dressed in black today, and my Bible is at home different than your Bible from what I was gathering. I believe she was referring to her satanic Bible. She said, went on to say, we believe in living for the present to get all you can out of life. And if somebody gets in your way, you move them out of the way. And she said something that brings chills to my heart and mind yet today. She said, you see this little girl here? We baptized her into Satanism too. I prayed for that little girl numerous times. I don't know where she's at today. I know God's faithful. He gives people chances. But that tore at my heart that they had baptized this little girl into Satanism too. I looked at that lady and I told her, I want you to know that God loves you, and I love you too, but it's a lot different. It's a different kind of love than what you're used to. And she continued on down the street. One young woman dying in sin. We could turn to Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. I don't think I'm going to do it. I haven't been watching the clock, but I don't want to keep you too late. You know the account there of Ananias and Sapphira, how they, as a husband and a wife, they conspired together, and they, in in deception, and they, you know how they lied to the Holy Spirit, and you know that they paid for their life because of their deception. And I submit to you that that was one married couple dying in sin. The eternal state of the unrighteous, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. We're thinking of those on the cross that is dying in sin. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8 speaks of those that will not inherit 
the kingdom of God, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And I submit, as you look at that list, it's a whole sinful generation that's dying in sin. You can look, we could turn to Romans chapter, maybe I will, Romans chapter 1, 28 to 32. Romans chapter 1, verses 28 to 32. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And I submit to you, once again, that's a whole generation of people dying in sin. Now that's kind of the negative side. Let's finish with the positive side. Let's think of that man, the one thief who then was dying to sin. Let's look at Luke 23. Go back to Luke 23, verses 39 to 43. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself on us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man, the, on the middle cross, he has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. The thief on Jesus, I like to think on the right hand of Jesus, thinking about the separation at the end times, I like to think of those on the right hand Jesus will call to himself. But this thief had a change of heart. And I believe that this is one of the brightest spots on a dark day of crucifixion. And one man dying to sin. You know the account of Zacchaeus. We could read that account. I don't think I'm going to turn to that one either. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. You know how this man who was a tax collector, he wanted to see Jesus and he decided to crawl up into a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus. And you know how it changed him. And he invited Jesus. And Jesus wanted to come to his house. And he said, if I've took advantage, I'll restore him fourfold. And I submit to you that this was one little man dying to sin. Maybe we'll read this one. Luke chapter 23, verses 50 to 53. This is Joseph of Arimathea or Arimathea. And I'm not sure which, which one, but you can choose. Luke chapter 23, verses 50 to 53. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the council, indeed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate, and he begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher, that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. It's my understanding that Joseph of Arimathea was uh, part of the Jewish Sanhedrin, and he had not consented 
And here he went and he begged the body of, of Jesus. Uh, he, he probably put a bunch of things. He probably put his reputation. Uh, his, there's a lot of things that he laid on the line there. Um, and I'm not sure what happened to him as he was on the Sanhedrin. But he took a different course. And I submit to you that he was a religious leader unswayed by public opinion and he was dying to sin. <clears throat> Some years ago, and I meant to tell this story the other night, Monday or Tuesday, and I forgot it. And if you don't mind, I'll interject it here today. Soon after I was ordained, there was a man that we had spent some time in his home doing some Bible studies and having prayer with. And he got older in life. He was a military man, and that's fine. Um, and I'm assuming he was about 70 years old and hadn't seen him for a while. But anyway, I got on my, my phone call, came, and he was in a hospital for some kind of physical need he had there in the hospital. And he said, Jay, he said, you can come in and visit me if you want to. He said, I don't want to burn. And I'm not sure if he had told me that initially, but he asked, he said something about us coming in and visiting. And so I got my wife and several children and we went in to see this man at the hospital. And he said, I want you to know that I've committed every sin in the book. And he said, I don't care who knows it. He wanted to find his peace with God. And that was such a blessing. And I believe that that man, I think it was about two or two and a half weeks later, uh, he had a stomach aneurysm or something and he, he passed away. But I believe that man is in heaven. He didn't care who people knew. He didn't care what they knew. He wanted to find his peace with God. So tonight we've looked at the one man on the middle cross dying for sin. We've looked at the one man dying on the left side who was dying in sin. And we've looked at the man on the right side who was dying to sin. And brothers and sisters, in this congregation tonight and everywhere in the world... All of us will recognize that we, we will identify with the two men that are dying on those outside crosses. Either we are dying in sin or we're dying to sin. Which is it? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And Jesus also said in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, we know those verses well. Again, Jesus spreads out his arms and invites you and me to come. Where he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Once again, we have taken a trip. I understand maybe I, some of the little ones, maybe they thought they was going to get a trip out of this. I don't know. I'm sorry if I disappointed some of the young ones. But we have taken a trip tonight to Golgotha and looking looked at the three men dying on those three crosses. How is, it, how is it with you tonight? Are you dying in sin? Are you dying to sin? It's one or the other. Jesus has his arms wide and inviting any of us to come that our relationship is not right. If you feel like tonight, that you have never accepted the Lord and you want that opportunity, Jesus' blood avails for you tonight. And if you feel like you've backslidden or you need to make a recommitment to your life, we want, um, recommitment, we want to give you that opportunity.
So I'd like to ask the song leader if he would lead us in one or two verses of invitation. Um, Raise your hand, come forward, and somebody will be glad to pray with you. Find that peace with God. He said, I'll give you rest. What shall we sing? Number 225, come to the Savior now. 225, come to the Savior now. I'm so glad that his love will never grow cold. Just like to remind the children that we're planning for a children's meeting again tomorrow evening and is uh, still one for the youth on Saturday night. I'd like to invite the youth to come out and uh, have a special message for you. Uh, and parents, please come. Don't, you're welcome to come if... Uh, We'd be glad to have you. Hopefully we all can learn something together, not only for youth, but like to invite you back tomorrow evening and evenings that you can come. Uh, once again, you've been a good audience this evening, and God's blessings, may they rest on each one of you. Shall we stand for prayer?